So I don't know if uh, you're a big YouTube watcher. I feel like these days, the younger generations, they watch YouTube more than the TV, than TV shows. But uh, my kids actually got me into this one YouTube channel called Dude Perfect. And I don't know if you ever saw it, but it's actually a bunch of Christian guys in this wholesome, very clean stuff. And what they do is it started with all these sports uh, shots, right? And they would do these things like, I'm going to go on the roof of my house, and I'm going to make this three-pointer, right? And then swish, they would make it. And they would do, uh, as their uh, audience grew, it went beyond sports. And they started doing all these different stunts, all these different uh, trick shots. And to give you a glimpse of what their channel's like, I just have this like 20 second uh, video. Check it out real quick. We've got a hat rack for a reason. Don't that feel real funky, y'all? Hey, Chief, you got backpack. Oh, my bad. Hit me. So it's really amazing. I, I didn't even know what parts to show you because it's like it's a really long video. But the things that they can do is really amazing. But you know, if you watch YouTube, it doesn't just leave you there, right? Their whole thing is if you watch this type of video, let me show you something similar, right? And so I went from watching this to another uh, video clips that said, uh, what's it called? It's true stories of people with super strength. And this video is really long, so I just brought some clips. And one of the first things they showed was a guy balancing a car on his head. Can you imagine doing that? Balancing a car on top of his head. And then next, I saw a woman, a, a Russian grandmother, who rips a phone book in half. It's incredible strength that she has. And she says, like, when I was 10 years old, I pushed something that weighed 1,200 pounds, and that's how I knew I had the strength. And it just grew and grew. So she has this amazing strength. And then the last thing I saw from these video clips was, I don't know about you, but I'm amazed by people who can run marathons, right? I think marathons are like 26 and a half or something like that miles. This guy runs, ran 350 miles without stopping. 350 miles. Incredible. And so I, when I watch these videos, I'm just shocked. How do people do these things? Where do these guys find the strength to do it, right? But as I thought about today's passage, you know what's a more important question than how did these guys do these things? Because as amazing as it is, like three stories up, you throw a backpack, it lands on it, right? And you balance that car on top of your head. These things are amazing things, but it's kind of useless. What are you going to use those things for in life, right? The more important question we need to ask is, where do we find the power to overcome temptation? Where do we find the power to parent really well? Where do we find the power to change when our marriage can be so difficult, when it can be so tough and it feels so hopeless? Where do we find the power? And that's what I'd like us to see this morning. By looking at the end of chapter 3 in Ephesians, Paul answers that gives us the answers to all these questions. You want to know where to get the power from? The power only comes from the gospel. And so to understand gospel power, there's three questions I want us to ask. First, what is it? Let's define what gospel power is. Second, 
Why do we lack it? And lastly, how can we get it? So what is it? Why do we lack it? And how can we get it? And so the first thing to learn about gospel power is we need to begin by asking, what is it? You know, every Thursday, uh, my son, he goes to something called Math Olympics at school. And uh, we have to wake up really early, like an hour before like everybody else gets there. And I hate doing it, but because my kids usually only like sports and like not, not really drawn to academics, I was like, this is, you got to do this. You're an Asian boy. You got to be good at math, right? So I take him to Math Olympics, and as I drop him off, I make my daughter come with me, because if you know me, I hate going back and forth all the time. So I take my daughter with me. It's my time, it's like daddy-daughter time. For this one hour, we have breakfast together every day, every Thursday at Abyss uh, Coffee Shop. And while we're going there, the funny thing is, every Thursday we've been going there. And so every Thursday, it's the same day, the same order, the same people. But for some reason, when we go there, she has no problem rattling off, oh, I can't wait to eat like uh, this sandwich and orange juice and stuff like that. But every time we go there and she gets to the cashier, she clams up. And she refuses to say uh, what she wants. And so for months, I've been feeling frustrated. I'm like, Hope, you need to learn to do this. Why can't you just order your own food, you know? It's the same people. Just order your own food. It's going to be okay. You have the guts to be crazy on the soccer field, but why not the nerves just to say you want an egg and cheese sandwich? And the thing I came to realize as I was studying today's passage is I'm such a dummy. And I'm a dummy because when I thought about this, of course my daughter's going to be nervous ordering food with a stranger, right? And then opposed to me, who's her father, that she can talk to me easily and openly. Because who knows, as an eight-year-old, if you go to the cashier and you say, well, I want a croissant sandwich with the egg and cheese and bacon, like, who knows for her if the cashier's mean, if they're going to make fun of her, like, you can't say croissant. What's wrong with you? Who knows if she's going to deny, get denied. But for me, I'm her father. Whether it's a McRib sandwich, or whether it's a croissant, egg and cheese and bacon, she knows I'll do anything I can to get her food, right? And so, of course, she may freeze up with others. But with me, she can be bold. She can be confident to say and do as she wishes. And I know we already touched on this a little bit a few weeks ago about the idea of what it means to be in God's family. But you know what they say, when something's important, you repeat it and you repeat it and you repeat it, right? And that's why when you look at our passage, going back to verse 14, it says this, as Paul is praying for all the people at Ephesus, he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Right? And so you see what our passage is telling us. You want to learn what gospel power is? You want to know where scripture is telling us to look to find strength? Where we can find this gospel power to live with boldness and with courage? 
It's the same place that my daughter found hers. In your father. The only difference is for us, we have a greater father. A father who is in heaven and in earth. We have a greater father with a greater love. I love my daughter, I'm sure as many of you love your children. But as much as we love our children, we know our love is imperfect, is it not? But we have a God who is a greater father with a greater love. And I tell you, if we understand this, it will bring about this weird dynamic. If we understand that God is our father, one, it will make us humble, knowing that we don't deserve God's love. And that's why when he prays, right, he gets down on his knees, Paul says. But at the same time, not only will it bring us humility, but it will give us confidence because he is our father. There's no reason to be timid around him. And so this weird dynamic of humility and confidence, that's what it brings when you're in God's family. That's how you get the gospel power, knowing that he's your father. And this is important for us to understand because I tell you, if you're a student here and you're tempted to cheat at school, or maybe some of us at work and we're tempted to cheat at work, we're tempted to lie, lie to our parents, lie to our spouses, or perhaps some of us are tempted by lustful thoughts, by drugs, or any other type of addiction. What's going to give us spiritual power over all these temptations? Is it a matter of sheer grit and willpower? I can do this. I can do this. Is it a matter of just knowing, intellectual power? If I know, then I can conquer these things. No, what Scripture tells us is it's a matter of having this loving relationship with God. And when you know the love of the Father, it will give you this boldness, it will give you this courage, it will give you this strength to overcome temptations. That's where power comes from, the love of the Father. The second thing I want us to know is not only define what gospel power is, but we need to ask why do we lack it in our lives? If many of us are Christians here this morning and we have the gospel, why do we lack its power? I don't know what drew you to Grace Point or what drew you to a PCA church, but for me, uh, my love for Reformed theology uh, began back in the 90s. And uh, one of the pastors that God used to shape me was this man named John Piper. And John Piper, he's kind of retired now because he's in his mid-70s and he stepped down from his church that he served at for 33 years. 33 years. And this, it's this huge church with thousands of members. I think there's at least like 5,000 members or something like that. But he really blew up not because he had a big church. He blew up because he wrote this one uh, book called Desiring God. And if you've never read this before, it really pushes one theological truth. A truth that what he calls Christian hedonism. And when you hear the term hedonism, you think negatively, do we not? That if you're a hedonist, you're so secular that you look for joy in life. That's all you look for. That's so wrong. But when Piper uses Christian hedonism, 
what he explains in his book is, we may think, you know what? God wants us to live a certain way. It's so, it stinks because he's keeping us from having fun. We may think that, but what Piper explains in his book is that, you know what? Actually, God's goal of joy and our desire and want for joy, it's one and the same. The only difference is rather than desiring the things of the world that bring temporary joy, Piper highlights it's about desiring God that's going to bring you ultimate joy. And so hence the, his tagline that if you know Piper, he always says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied, right? And so again, when I came across this book back in the 90s, it blew my mind and it changed my whole idea of what Christian life looks like. Because before I used to think, here's the Bible, if you want to make it to heaven, hold back your desires and you better be a good boy. But after I read this book and I went reading the Bible too, I was like, wow, it's not about holding back our desires. But it's realizing that God is really the desire that we are longing for and that will bring us that greatest joy. And if I pursue God, then everything else will fall into place in terms of living for him. And so do you see the difference? All other religions will tell you it's by a life of good works, by grit, by willpower. But the gospel tells you it's not about works, but it's about your heart. It's about loving God. And so as we return to our passage, why do we lack this gospel power? Well, initially we saw that gospel power is defined by the strength to live out boldly and courageously, knowing God's love, knowing that he's our father, right? In verse 17 and 18, Paul continues to tell us he's praying for Christ to dwell in our hearts. Why does he want Christ in our hearts? Because being rooted, being established, having his love established in our hearts, that's what gives us gospel power. If we desire him, if we love him, that's how we get it. And so if gospel power is basically about love, about desiring God, why do we lack gospel power? And we would hate to admit it. I don't know about you, but I would hate to admit it. But the reason why, the truth of the matter, why we lack gospel power is simply because we don't have love for God. We don't have love in our hearts. Without love, there is no power. Brian Chappell, uh, a big pastor in the middle, uh, mid, somewhere in St. Louis, I believe, somewhere around there, he wrote this. Follow me in this quote. When we sin, we most often say to ourselves, I was weak, or I was messed up, or I failed my Savior. But even in these expressions of guilt, there is still an assumption that we love Jesus. We just messed up. Yet if our sin is an expression of our true love, our words have false and empty ring of a wayward spouse who says to a husband or a wife, that other person didn't mean anything. I still love you. Yes, there is still love, uh, love present, but in those moments of betrayal, the love for another passion 
if not another person was greater than the love for the one whom the spouse is committed. When we sin, love for sin competes and supersedes love for Christ. And so see, do you see what I'm saying? Why do we lack this power? The truth is because we lack love for God. Why do we lack love for Jesus, though? That's taking it to the next level. The bigger question, then, is why do we lack love for Jesus? What is it that's getting in the way between us and God? We need to answer that. Because, you see, we can be doing all sorts of things. And listen to me carefully. I don't care if we have people come out to Saturday morning prayer meeting. I don't care if you go to growth group. I don't care if you go to men's group or women's group. I don't care what your attendance are, is like at all these things. Because you can still go to all these things and you can still struggle with being a bitter person. You can still struggle with lustful fantasies. You can still struggle with pride, arrogance, and having this attitude of entitlement. And the reason is we may be doing all these things on the outside, but the truth is our hearts on the inside is that we lack love for Jesus. And instead, we love other things. Probably because we love ourselves so much. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what love is competing in your heart for the love of Christ. But what I do know is unless we really get to deal with our real heart issues, we're never going to be able to experience or live out this gospel power that our passage is talking about. Because it all starts here in our hearts. That's why we lack it sometimes. The last thing I want to point out is not only what is it, why do we lack it, but the last thing is how do we get there then? How do we get to this gospel power that Scripture is talking about? I don't know how much TV you guys watch. I know I always refer to all these movies because I did. Uh, I was a big movie buff, and I loved watching movies when I didn't have children. That was the thing that I did over and over. But before movies, I actually loved watching TV. And last night at, uh, at Growth Group, I learned that Jeanette actually loved it too. And maybe she loved it too much. <laughs> she loved more than I did. But uh, when I was younger, I loved watching all these shows like... Um, Growing Pains, I don't know if you guys ever saw that. Growing Pains tagged with Who's the Boss. That was like one of the best tag teams. I, I believe it was like Wednesday night, 8.30, 8 o'clock and 8.30. I still remember it, right? It was the best tag team, two shows. And I, don't make fun of me, but one other show that I really liked was The Golden Girls, right? Because <laughs> if you ever watched it, these ladies are hilarious, you know? And they just made me laugh. And so most of these shows are the shows I really loved in the 80s, but as I got older, one of the shows I liked in the 90s was a show called Friends. And if you've ever seen it, it's hilarious. It's about these six friends that live in New York City, and they're going through struggles and life together. And some of them, they've been best friends from when they were really young, right? And now that they're close to 30 years old, they're still friends. And one of the sweetest episodes that I'll never forget, and perhaps you guys saw it too since it was a pretty popular show back in the day, but uh, one of the sweetest episodes I'll never forget is when they're all excited, they're sitting around the couch and they start watching these old videos, 
And they found this video of when Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox are getting ready for the prom. Do you guys, ever, do you guys remember watching that one? And when they're getting ready for the prom, uh, the one sad thing is Jennifer Anderson's date, Chip, he's really late. And it doesn't look like he's going to show up. And so you can imagine what she's thinking and feeling. She's crying like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to go to my prom. And Courtney Cox is like, if you're not going, I'm not going. And the whole situation is a mess. And so the father goes over to Ross. Ross is uh, uh, Courtney Cox's older brother and says, you know what? I have an idea. Why don't you go upstairs and get in my tux and get dressed, and you can take Courtney Cox, uh, Jennifer Aniston, right? And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, come on, come on. And, you know, he's actually had a crush on her for the longest time. And so he's like, all right, fine, I'll do it, you know, because he likes her so much. He runs up the steps, he's getting dressed, and he's like, be cool, be cool, right? And he has flowers, and right as he's about to go down the steps, Chip comes, and they, you know, everyone's gathered, and they're like, oh, we're here, we're going to go, and they all rush out, right? And you're just left watching that video like, oh, my gosh. You feel so bad for the guy. And so when the video ends, 10 years later after watching that video, Jennifer Aniston, as she watches it, her heart breaks. And she's like, oh my gosh, I never knew this. I never knew how much you loved me. And she runs into his arms and kisses him passionately, and they get together, right? So sweet. Why are you laughing? That's sweet, man. <laughs> the question is, if we fail to have gospel power, if we essentially fail to love God, how do we get it if we fail at loving God? And the answer that Paul gives us is, yes, we don't have gospel power because sure enough, you do stink. You fail at loving God. But the good news is that he doesn't fail at loving us. And he loves us so much. If we would only get a taste of his love, you will run into his arms like Jennifer Aniston. And that's why if you go back to verse 16, look at these amazing words in, in, in today's passage. Paul prays that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so do you see, friends, how do we get this gospel love? Again, just like Jennifer Aniston, who couldn't help but to be moved, she, how moved she was when she realized how long, how much, how quietly and faithfully Ross has been loving her all throughout the years. If human love empowers us that much, how much more the love of God that is so broad that it captures every man, woman, and child from every nation. How much more the love of God that is so long that it started before creation and it extends to eternity for us. How much more the love of God that is so deep it reaches every sinner in this room 
And you might think, oh, no, not me. My, you don't understand what I've done. And yet, today's passage says, yes, yes, even you, the deepest sinner, and yet it reaches the highest of places in heaven. Paul tells us about this amazing love, this oxymoron type of love, a love that surpasses our understanding, and yet we can still know it, and we can still grasp it. How is that possible? How can God be so infinite in love, and yet how can we grasp it as finite people? You see, anyone who doesn't know the gospel, you know how you measure love? By what you experience and what you know, right? That's how much you, you can say, I love you this much. And I remember reading a kid's story that says, one, two, three, and she counts to six, and that's the furthest she can count. And so she goes to her mom and dad and is like, Mom, Dad, I love you six. Because that's, the, that's as far as she can count. That's as far as she can know. But if you're a Christian here this morning, our love is different. It's not measured by experience. It's not measured by knowing. It's not measured by our circumstance, I should say, not our experience. It's not measured by our circumstances. We measure love by God's character based on the width, the height, the depth of Jesus' love. In other words, we measure God's love based on the cross, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And again, I tell you, friends, if we would only come to know and to taste and to experience this love, Scripture tells us what? that we may be filled with the fullness of God. That's how we get gospel power. And so, friends, if you're a Christian here this morning, you might be thinking, Pastor Tom, what a basic message. <laughs> Teaching us about love. We know love. We know what it can do. But do we? Do we really know the importance of love? That gospel power follows gospel love. Power follows love. If we really believe that, everything that we do would be promoting God's love if we knew it was the way to receive God's power. To give you an example, if you're a student here again this morning and you find school and grades to be idolatrous to you, what's going to empower you from cheating? Grades are so important, I want to cheat. Grades are so important, it makes me anxious. Grades are so important, I need all my time to study. Forget about youth group after church. Forget about youth group going to the maze, the corn maze. I'm spending my time studying for the SATs. What's going to empower you to overcome these kind of temptations? And the answer is the love of Christ. The love of Christ that says, I don't care what kind of grades you get. I don't care if you get into Ivy League. I don't care if you get a job that makes you rich and successful. I love you, not because of these things. I love you because you're my son and daughter. And I tell you, if we understand that type of love, it's going to empower you as a student not to make grades your idol. It's not going to make you tempted anymore. If you're a parent or a husband or wife, maybe dealing with marital issues, 
and marriage just seems too tough and you just want to call it quits. Everybody else is quitting, why not us? What's going to empower us to keep going? Finding a good counselor? Learning these different techniques, these different methods, these different ways of doing marriage so we can uh, get along? Different practices? Maybe these things will help, and I'm sure it will for a little bit. But true gospel power comes when you're so overwhelmed by God's love. When you know God's love so deeply, you feel so safe, so secure in God's love. You can confess your sin to your husband and wife and be like, you know what? It's true. I did mess up. And I'm sorry. I'm, I did wrong. That type of love changes people. That type of love will empower you through your struggles with marriage. Not techniques, not methods. God's love. And so, brothers and sisters, do you see? We tend to overcomplicate things, to over you know, put all this theology on this. This is what's going to answer it. But as Paul told us in verse 17, if Christ dwells in our hearts and we're rooted and we're grounded in God's love, we're rooted in God's love, like a plant, we will grow. If we're grounded in God's love, it's like a building with a sturdy foundation. You have a strong foundation, you will have a strong and powerful life. You have a weak foundation, you will be weak in power. Because if there is no love, there is no power. That's what we need to see. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but how passions drive us, how our passions is really our power. I was reading this one article as I was preparing today's uh, message, and it said, if passions control the insane, passions control the romantic, could it be that passions really control the rest of us? Because if you really think about it, don't we do what we love to do the most? Could it be Paul is right? Everything that Paul is saying here, everything Jonathan Edwards has been teaching us about these affections of God, everything that John Piper has been saying about desiring God, that the power we need comes from desiring him. It comes from our affections, from our hearts. If these things are true, if you're not a believer this morning, the big question is, what is your affections in this life? What are you passionate about if it's not God? Is it money? Is it academics? Is it drugs? Is it relationships? And if these are your passions, is there any wonder why we're living such weak, such powerless lives without the love of God? And so if you're not a Christian, would you turn to Jesus? And if you turn to Jesus, just like Jennifer Anderson, you know what you'll find, whether you know it or not, that God has been there the whole time, loving you passionately. And you'll see videotapes in heaven, how God has been loving you the whole time. And when you come to taste and see and know that, you can't help but throw yourself in the arms of God 
and start living out of gospel power.